Romans 4, 18 through 25. In hope against hope he believed, so that he might become a father of many nations, according to that which he had spoken. So shall your descendants be. Without being com- becoming weak in faith, he completed his own body, now as good as dead since he was a hundred years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb, yet with respect to promise, yet with respect... Sorry, with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully assured that what God has promised, he was able to also perform. Therefore, it was also credited to him as righteousness. Now, not for his sake only, it was written that it was credited to him, but for only our sake, for but for our sake also to whom it will be credited as those who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He who was delivered over because of our transgressions, he was raised because of our justification. Thanks, Kyle. Uh, A couple things before we jump into Romans today. We're going to continue with Romans chapter 4 and 5. here in just a minute. But uh, I was privileged last year to be a part of the first trunk retreat that I've been a part of here at the, at the Belgrade Church. And it's impressive the way everything comes together. There's uh, numerous people. There was, I don't remember what the count was last year, but, but way over 100 of people that showed up from the community that participated here. And it's a great way for us to, to show God's love um, and something uh, positive during this time period. Uh, for people, I know there's some have been working on a maze and other things. Uh, there's a bouncy castle, and Dan Morgan said he's going to do a backflip on the bouncy castle <laughs> while he's dressed up as a chicken. And so that's something that I think everybody wants to be here to see. That. Isn't that, did I get that right, Dan? Was that right? Backflip dressed as a chicken? Yeah, he's nodding his head yes. That's definitely what's going to happen. No, it's a, it's a wonderful time. Yeah, that's some, one of the things that's neat about this group is, is looking for those things in our community of ways that we can bless them. And, and Tuesday night, that's going to happen here. 6.30 to 8.30, you can come early and, and help prep. And, and there's, there's room for everybody to serve in some form or fashion and park the cars out there with, um, with trunks full of candy. And, and it's, a, it's a great time. Also, Dan mentioned as well, and I'll just say this from, from my perspective as far as what we're going to be preaching through. Now, Lyle uh, served this congregation as an elder for, for several years very honorably and, and needed to step down because of health reasons and distance and that. And um, two elders is way, way too few for a, a group this size. And so we're going to finish up Romans here in the next few months. And then starting the first of the year, walk through some of Titus and Timothy talking about uh, elders and deacons. And, and that's not just specifically with the purpose of uh, appointing elders and deacons, although hopefully that happens in the spring or summer. But just because those qualities are tremendous for all of us, when we look through those qualities of what elders and deacons and, and their wives are supposed to look like, that, that is, that's a study that always calls me higher, and it always calls me to, to look more like what God wants me to be. So that's, that's uh, what's in the future up in the next while. And so we can be, uh, as, as Dan mentioned, the elders want all of us to be praying for that process. And we're, we're all in this, in this together as we walk through that here in the next while and excited for the future and, and what God's going to do. All right, Romans chapter 4 and 5. Now we're going to do a couple of things here. There's two characters that are given, and then there's some, some teaching that is given by Paul uh, for the Romans. The two characters 
something we need to remember is that whenever we look at character sketches, there's some great things we can learn from people of faith, and there's some things that we can learn that say, I don't want to repeat that, and I do not want to go down this road. And that's what we're going to see from these two characters here. The first one we see that we'll look at is actually at the tail end of this section, right at the end of chapter 5. But Paul spends some time talking about Adam. Now, let's look at it here. In verse, we'll just read verses 18 and 19, and you can read the rest of it at home. But verses 18 and 19 says, Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of one man the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man the many were made righteous. You notice here one thing that's, that's neat in this section, or I think that's noteworthy, is that Paul, when he's talking about Adam is the one that brought sin into the world. Eve does not get thrown under the bus here. Okay, He places the responsibility on Adam that Adam should have been doing something different. He should have approached things different in the garden. And he didn't. And so it's on him. that That's where sin comes into the world. If you know the story, you go back to Genesis chapter 3. What happens is the serpent comes, tempts Adam and Eve, and they eat of the fruit of knowledge of good and evil. The one rule that God said do not. That's what they did. And since then, it opened the door for sinful behavior to come into our, into our world. And we have some great teachers. We have uh, people that we learn from all the time around us, and we learn to be sinful, and it becomes our status quo. And we'll talk about that. Paul will talk about that more as we go along. But this is this, the message here in these verses. It's real simple. Adam brought sin and death into the world, and Jesus did the opposite. Jesus brought life into the world. And... I think about this, I guess this is on my mind because I, I just finished coaching a soccer team here just uh, yesterday. We had our final game. And I've coached soccer teams for a lot of years, and I shared some of that here last week, uh, some different lessons that I've learned in trying to just teach the rules of soccer and, and that. And something I've noticed is that uh, with youth soccer leagues, I guess it's, it's kind of a popular thing right now to tell the kids is, now this is just for fun and we're not keeping score. There's not ever been a kid that I've ever coached that didn't keep score. You know, and I know my job as a coach is to say, well, you know, you're, you're, this is just for fun. And, and it is because I, tell, I make two rules for the team to start with every time I, I coach. is number one, that we pursue excellence in everything. Do your best at whatever we're doing. And number two is treat your other people on the team with respect in the way that you would like to be treated. Sounds a little biblical, doesn't it? Yep. And so that's why teach, I teach the kids all the way through that. And I say, if you do those two things, then the rest will take care of itself. Okay, don't worry about wins and losses, but the rest will take care of itself. But I've seen with, with kids in coaching is that some teams have, they, they just, things just don't come together very well for them. And for various reasons, uh, sometimes there's, there's, there's conflict among the, the kids. Sometimes they don't really like each other. Sometimes there's conflict at home and it comes out on the field. Sometimes there's, there's not a lot of giftedness athletically. But some teams that I've coached have really, really struggled. And, and you can see that when they get out on the field, they're excited to start with. They're excited, yes, we're playing soccer, this is going to be great. And they get into the first few games and they get walloped. And you can see from game three through game six or game seven or however many are, there are, is that it is really hard to keep morale high. It is just tough because you get tired of, of getting thumped and just being behind the ball and everything. And, and it's tough. 
But when you look at the other side, there's teams that I've coached, and this team that I was blessed to coach here just just finishing up here this last um, yesterday, there was uh, the team meshed from the get-go, and they were all little firecrackers. And some of them had never played soccer before, which was just fine. They got out there, and they ran hard. And every game seemed to get a lot better. And they were communicating on the field. They were talking with each other. And it was uh, we didn't have any people that were selfish with the ball. People passed, and they, they really encouraged each other. And, and what I saw is that every time they step on the field, they had this perspective that, yeah, everything is going to go okay today. Everything is going to be all right. And here we go. We jump in and there it went. And it just seemed to get, they get better and stronger throughout the year. And when we look at history, we look at Bible history and just history in general, mankind, we have a, we have a difficulty with a sin problem. Hey, we've talked about that throughout Romans here. And when we get caught up in that cycle and that, 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 Oh, this is terrible. I just can't seem to, to break the cycle of sin that's happening. You, we can see that with people. As we get bogged down, we start looking at the world in skeptical ways. We stop seeing hope, and it's just, oh, there it is. And you ever feel that way sometimes, is that the stuff that's coming out of you, someone asks, how are you doing? It's just, oh, you know, that type of thing just starts coming out. Because what happens is, is we're starting to get beat down by this sinful nature, this death that, that Paul is talking about here. But Paul is saying something very, very different has happened since Jesus came. As Jesus has brought the good news, he's brought all sorts of, of blessings, and he has brought life. He has breathed life back into you. And so as Adam, through his sin, brought death into the world, Jesus has done the opposite. And we as people of God can be really different. We can look at the world in ways that are really positive. We can see the good in things that, that nobody else can see because we have been given hope and we've been given life. Okay, we're going to come back to that because Paul's going to explain that here in a bit. But that's the gist of the, the example of Adam. If we go back to the beginning of chapter 4, we see that there's another example that's given. A guy named Abraham. And Abraham was, oh, if you have a top five for the people of Israel, the top five people they could go back to and say, those are the people that we want to look like. Abraham's going to be in that top five. He's the father of the nation of Israel, and he is the patriarch, the, the one that they look back to for the great example. And so a person who is a Jewish person in Jesus' day, in Paul's day, is going to look back and say, yeah, Abraham, he's the guy. He's the one we want to be like because he had so much faith. He was tremendous. If you remember this context that we're talking to here, a room full of people that are Jews and Gentiles, and they've all been able to come back together, and it's tough. They're trying to wrestle through how do we do church because we see so many divisions among us. Okay, look at uh, down through, well, the whole chapter talks about Abraham. We're going to read a, a little section. Actually, Kyle read it here in just, a, just a minute ago. But let's go back to um, uh, Genesis, chapter, Genesis chapter 15. Because we're going to see something very important here. Genesis chapter 15. And the Israelites knew this story, frontwards and backwards, because this is where God calls Abraham. He gives him the covenant. And look what happens here in chapter 15, verse 1. It says, After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. And Abram has already been told, Leave your country, leave your family, go to somewhere else. Step down in faith. He said, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your great reward, your very great reward. 
But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. When the word of the Lord came to him, this man, then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son who is in your own, your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to them, said to him, So shall your offspring be. Verse 6, Abraham believed the Lord, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And what Paul does in Romans is he walks through and he says, All right, here's an example. This is what I've been telling you, is that we are saved by grace through faith. It's not about following the law perfectly, because none of us can follow the law perfectly, and God has always made up the difference for that. But the person that you look back at as being the great example uh, of the, the Jewish nation and the father of the Jewish nation, the question comes up here in this section, was he righteous by following the law? No, the answer is no. Paul says, wait, he didn't even have the law. He hadn't even gone through all of that. But what made Abraham righteous, just like all the rest of us, is that he was righteous through his faith in God. You see, before he knew a whole lot about God or, or any of that, God took him outside and said, look at all these stars. I'm going to make your descendants like that. And there was something special in Abraham that was able to look up at the sky at that point in time and say, huh, I don't know a lot about this God maybe, but I know that he created the world. And if he can make all those stars, then he must be able to cause me to have a child when biologically that's impossible. And you know, I'm just going to believe that's going to happen. And... And I'm going to step forward in faith on that. And so Paul spends all of his time here talking about Abraham, the one that you look at as being the great example for you, the one that you look back in history and saying, that's what we want to be like. He is the one that you see from the get-go. He stepped out in faith. And so Abraham, as you, what you're going to see, is he is, therefore, the father of all the faithful, both the Jews, both the Gentiles, because all of us come to God in the same way. And we always have. We've come to God because ultimately we have faith in God. That's always been the case. And so if a person Jewish sitting in this room, that's going to send them for a loop because they're going to wrestle through that and think, wait a minute here. Okay, don't pull my own card on me here, all right? This is, Abraham is ours. Abraham doesn't belong to the Gentiles. Abraham was, was followed the law as he knew it, at least until it was given later. But Abraham's a great example for all of us. And what Paul says, yes, you're exactly right. But you need to understand is the issue that you're having with the people sitting around you shouldn't be an issue because all of you are coming to God in the same way. You come to God through ultimately saying, I'm going to have, I'm going to have faith. I believe that, this, that these promises are there. I believe this is real. Okay? So there is a, the example that, just put yourself in that position. The example that you've always believed, and the example you've always been excited about, is uh, Paul uses it to make a point to say, yeah, this is the guy that, that should, instead of being one that divides you, should be the one that, that unifies you. Hey, in between these two stories here, Paul gives some teachings that helps tie it all together here. Okay, let's read uh, verses 1 through 5, chapter 5. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, Romans, one of the, like I talked about before, the fog of Romans, is sometimes there's clause after clause after clause, and so we can get caught in the fog there. Okay, we're going to try not to do that. But you look at the, what, what Paul is saying here. He's saying, 
because you've come to God through faith, you can have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace to which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. Okay, hope. Hope is a word that keeps coming up in here. Um, and if you think about that analogy of the, the soccer team, uh, I used the, the analogy of the one who, this team that really struggles, you don't see life in them, but the ones that, that really mesh and do well, you see hope, or you see life. I believe that's even more true when we, see, when we look at that in terms of hope. The teams that have come together well and see that things have worked well for them, they're able to step out on the field and they have hope. They have hope, meaning I believe, and nobody ever really articulates this very much, but they come out on the field and say, I believe somehow, they show this by their actions, that we're going to get out there today and everything is going to work and everything is going to go and we're going to score goals and somehow this is all going to work out okay because we're going to get to the end of this game and it's going to be better than it is right now. We've talked about before that we as Christians are the only people that can say the future is better than the past. Well, put yourself in the position of the, the Romans that are sitting in this room, that are hearing this words of God uh, that Paul has written there. They're going to wrestle through and look around in their world, and they're going to believe that there's not much room for hope. Now, they've become Christians, so they know, they know that, uh, that, that Jesus is our hope and, and all that. But if you're a person who has uh, become a slave, either because you were conquered, and remember... 50% or better of Rome at this point in time were slaves. Lots and lots of people were slaves. So if you have a, a church that's made up of all these people, a whole lot of them are going to be slaves there. And if you ask them, what is your hope in life? If they look around, their hope might be someday I can buy my freedom, and that's something I can look forward to. Or hope maybe, maybe uh, yeah, I don't know, maybe I'll have a better master next time or, or something like that. But there's not a lot of hope that a person could really sink their teeth into, if we want to say that. For uh, the wealthy Romans, if you read any about the, the history of the, of the city of Rome, it was a mess. There was a lot of really good things that happened, but if you go back to chapter 1 and chapter 2, we see that there was a, just rampant immorality, just a, a, a gigantic moral mess that we see there. And so if a person looks around and says, what is my hope for the future? Everybody sitting in that room could say, ultimately, well, I think I'm probably going to die someday. That's, that's my hope. I don't have a whole lot more to go on. Maybe I'll get my freedom, but that's going to be temporary. If you walk through this and you talk people through this, there's not a whole lot of hope. I think in our world it's not a whole lot different. Uh, and we'll talk about that more here in just a minute. But there's, when we turn on the news, there's not a lot of hope, is there? When we turn on the news and we watch... I don't come away getting the impression that, man, the future is going to be better than the past. Things are going to be great tomorrow. What I see here is these talking heads saying, look how bad things are out here. Look how bad things are going. And as we get older, we tend to start feeling the aches and pains and all that, and we say, wow, you know, this is, maybe the future might not be better than the past. There's not a whole lot of, of great hope out there. And so when Paul says, look at this. Look at your sufferings because you know that suffering produces perseverance. Okay, we get that. 
I know that when I've had to suffer, uh, there's perseverance that comes out of it. I get tougher through that. I may not like it, but I get tougher somewhere. But perseverance produces character. Character comes out of that. Yeah, the losing seasons, those produce character, don't they? You hear that? You don't like it, but they produce character. Fine. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Okay, that's the difference there. The secular Romans or the pagan Romans could have looked and said, yeah, okay, yeah, suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character. Yeah, yeah, that's fine, but then what? But what we have in Christ is something different, is that God gives us hope. And this hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has now been given to us. There's the Holy Spirit again. He's given to us to provide this hope for the future. Because we as Christians, unlike anybody else that's out there, can say the future is better than the past. Is that as I go through life, I'm being renewed inside, day in, day out. And my, even though my, my outside self may be breaking down, inside I'm, I'm getting stronger and I'm getting more beautiful in God's sight. And then when this body finally does break down and I go to be with God, then it's even better. So the future is absolutely, totally better than the past. So no matter what sufferings happen that bring perseverance, that bring character, I can find hope in that and I can give, I can be an example for God right now. I've talked about before, we've talked about this, Christian escapism is just sitting around in a holding pattern waiting for heaven to come to us someday. And that's just a way to say, all right, well, you know, heaven's, we're going to go to be with heaven sometime, sing with the angels, and I've just got to, you know, I'm just, whatever, I'm going to sit in my holding pattern until then. God's purpose here that we see is to continually transform us into something greater and more beautiful in the process. And that's what you see here, is we have this hope for the future. And not only that, continuing on here in verse 6, you see at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And Paul talks about how there's times where people lay down their life for somebody occasionally. You see that happen. But what God did is he took the initiative. He didn't sit up there in heaven and say, well, these people down here are a gigantic mess, and I'm going to wait till they get their act together, and then I may think about coming down there, and we'll see what happens. He looked down at the giant, gigantic mess and said, boy, this is a gigantic mess, and somebody's got to do something about it, and I'm going to, because it's not going to get better until I step in, and I'm going to take the initiative in this. When covenants were made in 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 antiquity, you had almost always the weaker party would approach the stronger party in order to, to make that covenant or make that agreement. And Paul is saying God has done exactly the opposite. He is a stronger party, but he knew that we needed it so bad, needed a change of, of, of our state so bad, that he came to us. And he sent Jesus before any of us had, had got ourselves cleaned up, before we had figured out how to deal with the sin stuff. Jesus came and that demonstrates God's love. He's willing to get his hands dirty. He's willing to stick his hands in the mess that is us and to, put, to work to put things back together. Let's look at the next verses here. Verse 9. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. 
And so the, what he gives here in the last, uh, this last section, verses 9 through 11, he gives the promise of the resurrection. Is that he continues to, to give us hope in this life, continues to transform us. He's the one that started this process, and he gives us this hope of the resurrection. That we as Christians can look whatever situation comes our direction in the eye and say, I believe that the future is going to be better than the past, because that's what God's promises is. And I'm on board with that. And I can't help but think, putting myself, again, every time into this room of all these Romans and the Jews and Gentiles sitting around there and and maybe looking at each other with not being very happy that they're trying to figure out how to do church together. And they're they're, they're wrestling with this. I can't help but but think that they're hearing these words of Paul and thinking, well, wait a minute here. I guess those people across the room that are different from me, they have a different diet than me, they dress different than me, they still have the same hope, don't we? We still come to God the same way. We look at this God has taken the first steps to to repair our relationship because we sure weren't going to do that. And he gives us the promise that someday we're all going to be raised. And maybe our differences are not so big after all. Maybe we're a whole lot more similar than we ever realized. And maybe the, the person that's sitting in the corner that is had a terrible week that is in slavery and their, their master has been terrible to them all week, can look around and say, well, I've got lots of perseverance and hopefully that's character and maybe if I demonstrate hope in all of this, I have no idea what type of influence I can have on the people around me. I'm demonstrating hope. Demonstrating hope even though there's, there's been, I've been wrestling with, uh, with, this, with my frustrations with uh, not being treated fairly, but deciding that I'm going to find hope for the future in this, and I'm going to demonstrate that. And by doing so, I'm going to look different than everybody else around me. Boys, I thought about that this week. Um, I get hit in the face a lot. Again, I'm just up here. I'm not preaching to you. I'm just up here working my own stuff out with all of you as we go along. That's how this works. And as I look at, at my... You know, at our world, and try to look around and see the lack of hope that is out there. I ask myself, what am I doing to make sure that I'm taking hope, I'm, that I'm really living it? Um, and I haven't sat in with the um, the class here recently, with the um, uh, the money management class. But one of the things I can't help but think, and I'm sure that this is part of the discussion that Mike and Brenda are, are bringing up in, in some in some way here is that we don't have slavery in our world. Okay, That's been outlawed. We pride ourselves in, in having a, a great track record for human rights, hopefully, in our society, and we continue to, Lord willing, improve on that. But I can't help but think, as, as we look around at our world, and you look at the stats that are out there, the average debt that is in our family families just around the, our nation, is that we, whether by by mistake or by just the way that life happens or by choice, sometimes we can just put ourselves right into debt, into slavery, that a self-imposed slavery that is the, the debt that we find ourselves in. We can do that financially. We can do that with time. I know that I'm at the age right now, and my family's at the age, where the kids have the opportunity to be in all sorts of different activities. And, and we want our kids to be well-rounded, and we want to do that. But I feel that pinch that, oh, man, i got to run to the next thing right now and try to run from one thing to the next. And I love it, and I don't at the same time. You know, As I'm trying to wrestle through that, 
and, and figuring out where that balance is. But I, I keep coming back to, in all of this, is that am I submitting myself to, to this slavery that, that is this chaos in our world, and I go from one thing to the next to the next to the next and have no time to stop and remember that the greatest hope lies ahead. Because I think when we get too busy in life with our time or we get, we, we get too strapped with our finances and we're trying to wrestle through and we don't know that we have a way out, and there are ways to get out of it. We can change all that. But we find ourselves, like many of the people sitting in that room that this letter is being read to in the Romans, there are people that you look out and you think, man, my hope for the future doesn't look that great. Hope for the future doesn't look excellent. I feel like I'm, I'm in tough situations and I'm not sure how that's going to get, get any better. And you hear these mess, this letter from Paul saying, suffering produces perseverance, character, and character hope. And if we can see hope in every situation and we can reflect and we can uh, learn to... Uh, to look through uh, the spiritual lens and say, we can see hope all around us. We can see that this is going to end out okay because God's here. God's working somewhere. You go to Psalm 46. Here's something that's good to remember. Psalm 46. Go ahead and turn there. Psalm verse 46. This is a psalm. um, I'll read it here. It says, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help and trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though the waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her and she will not fall. God will help her at the break of day. Nations are in uproar, kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice and the earth melts. Does that sound like a place with a lot of hope? (laughs) The earth melts, everything falls apart. Yeah. Verse 7, The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see what the Lord has done, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. You know, all that mess kind of stuff that we get ourselves into. Verse 10, he says, Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And for the Romans that are hearing this and for us, I believe the thing that should give us comfort and conviction is to look around and say, am I one that sees hope in this world and sees the good things that God is doing and sees the good things that are coming in the future? And do I look at situations that are difficult for me that I find uh, find frustrating, do I look at those as opportunities to be able to shine hope? And I can't help but think, because of what happened in the next centuries after this, that the people in that room, in those rooms, that were listening to the message of Romans here, decided somewhere along the line, I will not be one that allows the situations of this life to drag me down. I will not be the one in the situation that will allow the life that I see and, and every, the bad news that is out there to drag me down. But I choose hope. I choose to, to look with a spiritual perspective and see that no matter what happens, God is still in control. I can be still and know that God is there. And I see hope. Because no matter what happens, God is changing me into something more beautiful all the time, and I go to be with Him. And what happened is the people around these Christians that are reading this in the next centuries, their children, their children's children, saw hope. 
and it changed the world. And nowhere else that I'm aware of in any church history has the church grown more and more powerfully than in the next centuries right after that in Rome and surrounding that area. And people gave their lives for Christ. People gave their property for Christ. They gave all sorts of things for Christ. They gave their lives for for him because what they saw is hope. They looked around and saw hope when everybody else saw frustration and and anger and, and, and dismal situations. The Christians looked around and saw hope. And boy, that's, a, that's something that's convicting for me, and it's a place that all of us can shoot for, is look for hope in the world around us and uh, in God's kingdom. Let's, uh, let's be people of hope this week, and we'll see what God has in store for us. Let's stand and sing together. If you'd like to become a Christian, you're welcome to come forward, and the elders are waiting in the back to pray with you as well if you have any specific prayer requests.